Tonight we'd like to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and see the example of Paul as a minister. Now, I'm sure you're well aware of the fact that the New Testament teaches the priesthood of all believers. We are all to be ministers of the gospel. And therefore, what Paul has to say uh, about his own life applies equally to all of us. Now, none of us here have the same kind of apostolic ministry that Paul had, and yet all of us are ministers. We need to learn from his example, his methods, his motives, the things that made him go. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Paul had been in uh, Philippi. He'd cast a demon out of a slave girl, been thrown into prison because he, he uh, ruined the uh, livelihood of her masters because she could uh, divine the future through her demonic powers. And uh, he was beaten and, and uh, shamefully treated because he was a Roman citizen, didn't even get a trial. And when he left Philippi, he came to Thessalonica. He was there, he says, for three Sabbaths. And the Jews there had opposed him so much, they ran him out of the city after that time. They made Jason post a bond, presumably promising that Paul would never come back again. And these Jews in Thessalonica were so outraged at Paul and antagonistic to him that they followed him down to Berea, which is 50 miles away. Now, we must remember they couldn't hop in their car and take an hour drive. That'd be a, probably a two days hard walk. But so intense was their opposition that they followed Paul down and then chased him out of Berea. Well, Paul then writes, and he tells, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, uh, something about his coming to them and the, and the fruitfulness of that ministry. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So they'd been beaten up in Philippi, uh, and they went right into Thessalonica to another difficult situation amidst opposition, and yet Paul says we had the boldness to continue preaching. Now, why did Paul do it? Well, it wasn't because he just happened to be the adventurous sort who was always uh, risking his life. It wasn't that he was the kind who would uh, uh, try to climb the Sears Tower and if he happened to be in Chicago. Uh, but he said we had the boldness in our God to keep on doing this. Now, I think from a, well, this phrase, in our God, probably means many things. One of the things it means is that he gives us the power to be faithful, to be courageous. Another is that he gives us the perspective to do so. From a human perspective, it would be foolish to go out of the frying pan and into the fire, so to speak, to go from a, a, a situation of suffering into another situation of suffering and persecution, just like Paul did. Uh, and yet, from a divine perspective, Paul realized it was not foolishness. He probably remembered the words of Jesus when he said, Don't fear those who can only kill the body, but fear him, rather, who can kill both body and soul. And so, because of his perspective, he realized the worst they can do to me is kill me, and what's going to happen then? I'll be in heaven. Fantastic. Let's go. And so, he had a boldness in his God to be courageous. 
He reminds me of uh, one of my uh, favorite stories in church history is the story of a couple of English priests, uh, Hugh Latimer and, and uh, Nicholas Ridley. Uh, in 1665, they were burned at the stake for their faith. Queen Mary, who got the name Bloody Mary, did not like Protestants. Her mother uh, was Henry VIII's first wife. She was divorced and shamefully treated, mistreated. And so Mary held a grudge against Henry and, uh, and his Protestantism. And as soon as she came to the throne, she tried to rid uh, England of that horrid disease. Well, the Protestants now knew the true faith in the living God. They knew they had come to, to realize justification by faith, and they were courageous. She burned about 300 of the leaders at the stake, hoping that that would rid England of, uh, of this heresy. But in, on one uh, autumn night, in, in uh, uh, autumn day in 1665, these two men were tied to the stake. And while they were there, instead of crying and, and uh, uh, pleading with their executors, uh, the older of the two, Bishop uh, 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 Latimer, preached what, he, what is called his uh, most noble sermon ever, also probably his shortest. And he, <laughs> he turned to his friend who was, who was in the back of him, they are tied together, and he said, Master Ridley, play the man. For this day, by God's grace, we shall light such a fire in England as will never go out. And that was his courage. He had boldness in his God to remain faithful and courageous even in the midst of that final death and the pain that would come from being burned. And indeed, his prayer was true. Uh, they lit a fire in England that hasn't gone out to this day. As people maintain the faith and their courage uh, spurred the true believers in the country on. Well, Paul is such a man. He said, We had boldness in our God to preach to you the gospel amid much opposition. I think another way of looking at his, his behavior was that he was characterized by that great trait of single-mindedness. And I think that, that often enough that trait is lacking. Listen to us as we uh, are, are approached about different ministry needs or opportunities. Listen to what we say. Often we say, yeah, that sounds like that would be fun. Or, no, I don't think I would like that. Now, imagine a scene with me in which uh, God comes to Paul and says, Paul, I want you to be an apostle. I want you to give up the normal pleasures of having a wife and family. Uh, you won't have a home of your own. You'll be shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and stoned to the point of death. Uh, you'll be uh, misunderstood and slandered and ridiculed and run out of town after town. And imagine Paul saying, Boy, God, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. Now he realized that, that his call to apostleship was not uh, something he responded to just out of fun. But he was a man of, of purpose and a man of courage, willing to do anything to, to uh, follow God. And in the midst of difficulty, he said, we had great boldness in our God. Now, in verses uh, 3 to 5, uh, 3 to 6, excuse me, Paul tells us something of what he was not. As we indicated earlier, there was great opposition in Thessalonica. Uh, the Jews chased him out of there, then followed him to Berea. Let's read over verses 3 to 6, and then you tell me what things they were saying about Paul. Paul. 
For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. Well, tell me, what were they saying about Paul? Those who were left behind and tried to discredit his ministry. Right, he wanted his name in lights. He was out for their glory and probably suggested that he was just pushing his weight around. Well, Paul says that, that all of these things are not true. He first he tells us in this section what he was not, and then in verses 7 to 12, he says what he was like. So he says, first of all, that, that his uh, ministry was not uh, based on a false foundation in verses 3 and 4. He said, Our exhortation, the message that we brought, our proclamation, did not come from error, or impurity or by way of deceit. The message itself was not erroneous. As he says in the next verse, we were uh, given this very message by God himself. He says our motive was not impure. And then he tells us later on that we were not out just to get glory or, or greed from you, uh, your money. And he says our method was not deceitful. There was no underhandedness. It's apparent from the... Uh, accusations that Paul's opponents made from him in various places that there were traveling religious hucksters in the day who would go from place to place who, who were powerful orators and emotional preachers and could stir up people's emotions then take a good collection and be out uh, off to the next town somewhat like the, uh, the music man in the, uh, in the musical and so Paul had to uh, defend himself and tell people no he was not like that he says that uh, we have been, uh, says that our gospel is not based upon such false foundations, but we've been approved by God himself to be entrusted with the gospel. As a result, he says, we speak not as pleasing man, men, but God who examines our hearts. He says that we have been examined by God and approved, and now we are continually being examined by God. For the Christian minister, there's no graduation day that you, all the tests are over with. He says we realize that we're tested daily by God. He examines us. And so we live with a holy sense of awe before him. He says we realize that the gospel has been entrusted to us. Now, what is a, what is a trustee in our culture? What do we think of when we think of a trustee? An overseer? Yeah, what does a trustee at a bank do? Yeah, they watch over somebody else's funds. So they're entrusted with funds, and they have an obligation to watch over them, to invest them wisely, and see that they grow and that they're not uh, lost or squandered. Paul says that we have been made trustees of the gospel. It's been entrusted to us. We are stewards. We have a sense of obligation. He says, in, uh, similar to what he says in Romans 1, he says, says, I am a debtor to all men because God has entrusted the gospel to me. Now, sometimes I think we 
act as if we believe that we're doing God a favor if we share the gospel with people. Now, if I were to give John $100 and said, Now, John, I owe this to uh, 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 Pete. He's not here, but you give it to him. Now, would John be doing Pete a great favor should he deliver that money to him? No. Instead, he'd really be robbing him of what was rightfully his if he failed to do so. In a similar way, God has entrusted the gospel to us. And we are, in a sense, debtors to those to whom it is supposed to go. And Paul says that he labors under this kind of uh, uh, sincerity, this kind of, of realization of the, the obligation that he has, that, that he's been entrusted with the gospel. In the same sort of way, we've been entrusted. It's not merely a, uh, an option for us to share what God has given, but really a holy obligation. And that's what Paul is saying here. So he says that our, our ministry is based on a foundation of knowing that we've been entrusted with this gospel by God himself, and so we uh, speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. And he says our, furthermore in verses 5 and 6, he elaborates on the fact that our methods were not, were not uh, perverted. He says three things. We never came with flattering speech and we flatter people because we want to be popular. We want them to think well of us. He says we never came with a pretext for greed. God is witness. We do that if we are out for our own financial gain or, or financial security in some way. Thirdly, he says in verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, some kind of recognition or honor or status either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But how easy it is for us to let false motives intrude. And it's so easy to want to be popular, to want to butter certain people up, or to, uh, it's probably not so easy for you, but easier for me, to uh, uh, want to ingratiate myself to certain people so that I can be financially rewarded uh, uh, in more abundance for my ministry or for all of us to seek glory we want certain positions of ministry where we'll be recognized and honored we'll be able to to have uh, uh, great titles and uh, everybody will say he's the leader or he's the big shot in some way or she is but Paul says that our our aim was not such he's already said that his aim is to please God not to be self-seeking and please himself or please men as a way to, to get things for, for himself. So this is what Paul says that he was not in verses uh, 3 to, to 6. Now Paul defends himself here not because he was basically defensive. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 to 13 that he doesn't want to defend himself. He feels foolish when he has to. And yet... He defends himself. Well, you tell me. Why does he defend himself then if he's not basically just a defensive person? For the sake of the gospel. He didn't care if people uh, thought ill of him, but his gospel was at stake. And he could not stand the thought of people discrediting his gospel because they had discredited him. Well, in verses 7 to 12 then, he tells people what he was like. And according to the way I understand this passage, there are five different uh, things that Paul says he was like. 
And as I read these through, see if you can pick those out, and maybe you'll see even more. But we proved Pete to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now what things do you see here? How many different things do you see that Paul was saying that he was like? Like a mother. He says that in, in verse uh, 7. He was like a nursing mother. He was like a father. We see in verse 11. Blameless and devout. In verse 8, the way I see that, he was like a friend in his tenderness and his sharing of his own life as well as the, the message of the gospel. And verse 9, I see that he was a servant willing to work overtime, double time, that he might not be a burden to them. Let's look at these one at a time. He says that he was like a nursing mother tenderly caring for her own children. Now one of the things that strikes me about this is the uh, way in which Paul refers to himself it was such a, a tender uh, uh, metaphor or simile here, uh, such a feminine one, because the only kind of picture we get from, from Paul is he was a rough, tough, uh, corncob type of guy, uh, and yet he speaks of himself in a very feminine type of, of uh, simile here. And in some cultures, and in many parts of our culture, many men are threatened by such things, or threatened by being around little kids, or appearing uh, too motherly in any way, and thinking that to protect their own ego, they have to be he-men who, who never have anything to do with anything that's, that's slightly feminine. But Paul was not at all that way. He says that he was like a nursing mother, tenderly caring for her own children. Now, some of you mothers tell me, since I... You know, forget these kinds of things since we don't have that kind around our house very often. Uh, what is a, the what is it? What are the children of a nursing mother like? Cry a lot, completely selfish. You know, we try to tell tell Christy, well, you know, we're busy sleeping right now. Why don't you you know try again later? <laughs> Never works. Has no thoughtfulness or consideration for anybody else. And Paul says, we were like this. A, a mother t uh, was gentle with her own nursing children. And if you haven't discovered it, you, you've been uh, had your eyes closed. But Christians are often like that. Christians who are new and Christians who are old but never matured. Uh, demanding, wanting their own way, selfish, self-centered, uh, insistent that they have to have their needs met and they're the only ones that are important. And let me tell you, it's easy at times to want to just tell them off and to say, you are so selfish, you're not the only person in the world, and if we did it your way all the time, everybody else would be griping. 
And yet, notice what Paul says. He says, we were gentle among you. Now, you nursing mothers know that, that you, there's, uh, fortunately, a God-given motherly instinct so that you can put up with some of that, that stuff. Whereas if your child who was uh, uh, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 acted the same way, yeah, you'd want to punch him in the nose. But somehow God has fortunately put that motherly instinct so that you are willing to put up with, with that kind of childish behavior. But as you say, as you point out, we need the boldness with the gentleness because they both come from that compassion for people wanting to meet their needs. Paul says also that he was like a friend in verse 8. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Now, how long had he been there? He says three Sabbaths. So it's uh, less than four weeks and more than 15 days. At least 15 days, maybe no, no more than that. Three, three uh, Saturdays, uh, maybe as much as uh, 27 days, uh, but no more. And Paul says, yet I was, I was there just a short time, but you became very dear to us. And I was ready to impart not only the gospel to you, but my own lives, my own life as well. I remember hearing one uh, lady share one time that, that she had been uh, discipled by somebody, and they went through an eight-week course, and then she never saw the discipler again, and was, was very hurt by that fact, because she, just, she realized that she wasn't befriended, she was just a project. I think sometimes we treat people that way. We want spiritual notches on our belt and see how many people we can minister to and how many people we can call our disciples, and, but we're not really interested in them. But Paul says, we were ready to share with you not just the gospel of God, but ourselves, because you've become very dear to us. Uh, there's a perversion. One, there are many perversions uh, wandering around the churches these days, as there always have been. But one of them says... If people are going to respect you, you have to keep your distance. You can't really open up. You have to appear to be good and have it together, which is the opposite of what Paul exemplified for us. He shared his weaknesses. He was open. He befriended people. And I found in my own life that when I uh, hold back, then it really creates a distance between me and others. But when I uh, open up and share my weaknesses with others, then it really creates a bond and a greater respect and a greater ability to minister. And Paul says that's the way we were. We were like a friend. And that's what we need to be to the people we minister with. Then in verse 9 he says, We were servants. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, uh, how working night and day, so as to not be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now Paul didn't stand up for his rights. He didn't say, look, guys, 40 hours a week, that's it. Or he didn't come in and say, uh, I'm going to share the gospel with you. And the first lesson I want you to, to remember is what Jesus said. The workman is worthy of his hire. Uh, and you need to start paying me. Now, Paul said he realized that there were going to be people who would try to discredit his ministry. And therefore, he realized that he needed to do extra things lest they have uh, fuel for their fire. And so he didn't try to accept any money. He worked full-time during the day and then full-time preaching the gospel at night and on weekends. He didn't have the attitude that, well, I'm going to give so many hours to God and that's it. Uh, I've got my own life. I have my rights. 
don't you people infringe upon me. And it's true that we need to, to have some time to ourselves. The Lord Jesus himself withdrew from the cr- crowds and escaped to have some, some uh, uh, time by himself to reflect and to pray and to uh, uh, rest. And yet Paul's attitude is we gave ourselves night and day. We, he didn't have the attitude that, well, I want to make sure I'm reimbursed for every penny I spent in ministry. And who's going to pay me for it? But he's ready to give himself up as a servant to them. In verse 10, he says that, they were, that he was uh, an example to them. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. And if we're to minister to others, we need to be able to set an example. Now, the way that God has spoken to me in this most, I think, is in thinking about my own children and asking myself the question, if my children become Christians like they see me being, not like they hear me talking about, but like they see me being, where are they going to be? And it's made me realize that I fall short in many ways. I need to take God more seriously and not just pray at mealtime, but pray all the time about needs that arise. And I have thought about the fact that I need to be open with them and by my example show that, that man is made to live in dependence upon God. I have needs. And needs are not just things that little kids have. We don't just pray, uh, help uh, God please help Micah to obey Mommy and Daddy more. Uh, but also pray please help Daddy to obey God more. Well, Paul said that he was an example uh, to them how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you. And then he says finally in verses 11 and 12 that he was like a father. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now I think if we were writing this we would rewrite it. We shared with you as a uh, father would his kids. We would take out the exhorting and encouraging and imploring because that's too forceful. In our culture, it's more accepted to, uh, you know, the cool type of communication. We just kind of share things with people. If they want it, fine. If they don't, fine. We don't want to push any, anything in anybody or impose our will in any way. And yet Paul says, like a father would his own children, we exhorted you. You know, there are times we had to grab you by the neck and say, look, you've got to face into to reality and see what you're doing to yourself. Or you've got to see the choices that are before you. They're, they're different. I like to distinguish between a passive kind of, of uh, ministry and an, and an active one, or a passive kind of shepherding and an active one. In the passive kind, then we say, uh, well, we're here available to shepherd you if you have any problems, call. And if you don't, we promise not to pry into your, into your private life and meddle. That's the kind that's more popular. The kind that Paul talked about was more the active one. When the shepherd is uh, uh, herding the sheep, he doesn't say, well, sheep, you know, if you have any problems, call me. Uh, but if you want to be stuck in the briar patch and don't want any help, uh, you know, it's your life and you do what you want and I'll... You know, I'll respect your privacy. Now the shepherd goes out and he pulls the, the sheep out. Or if the sheep is running away uh, from the flock, the shepherd goes after him and tries to grab him and bring him back. One thing that strikes me about this, though, 
is that this passage doesn't make too much sense to us because we as American fathers don't father this way. Fathers in America tend to be passive. You think through in your own family, uh, in the families you see, do fathers do this kind of thing? Not too much. I know in my own family my father didn't. Uh, and so I think it's hard for us to, to feel the full weight of what Paul is saying. Like a father should be, he says, we implored and exhorted and encouraged each one of you. And notice that he says each one. He didn't just get people in a group and lay out the teaching and, and hope that everybody would listen. But he says each one of you individually, we tried to meet your needs and minister to you. Well, it's a difficult example that Paul uh, sets before us. It's a challenging one. I find it so. And yet, it's something I think that we should all pray about, becoming more and more. As I said to begin with, God has called all of us to be ministers within his body. Uh, it's not just a, a few of us paid professionals who do this job. We're all called to, to be uh, priests, ministers within the body. Let's have just a, a couple of minutes. It's time to quit. But let's just have a couple of minutes of response. Of all these things we've looked at in Paul's life, an example tonight, what's one or two things that hits you? Things that are needed within our life corporately as a body or maybe something that's hits you that you feel a need for in your own life or something about this uh, pattern that Paul lays out that's an encouragement to you and a stimulus. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us be this way. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us and guides us. We thank you for the ministry of Paul and his example. Lord, we are challenged, all of us. Help us, Lord, to become men and women who are single-minded in our devotion to you. People who are sold out to the cause of glorifying you and spreading your kingdom in this world willing to put up with ridicule and misunderstanding and, and uh, slander and opposition if need be. Help us, Lord, to become gentle and serving and yet forceful when needed as we seek to build up those around us in the faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen.